Hello, Rise Together listeners. Dave here. Welcome to another episode of this, the Rise Together podcast. Unbelievably, this week marks the one-year anniversary of my book, Get Out of Your Own Way, coming out. It came out on March 10th of last year. It's amazing how many things have happened in the year since it came out. But in celebration of this, the first anniversary of the book coming out, I thought it would be fun to take a few of the chapters and dive into them, spend a little time unpacking some of the things that inevitably get in our own way so that we might, as we're equipped now with what it is that could, hopefully preemptively keep them from getting in our way as we attempt to go and create the kind of life, the kind of year that we'd hope for. So in this episode, you're going to hear three different chapters that I will unpack. It was part of a New Year's challenge that we actually did in the first couple weeks of the year, this attempt to allow each of us to springboard into the year in as best a way possible. Again, thinking about what might get in our way, taking the lies that we might currently believe and making them unbelievable so that without those limiting beliefs, we can go pursue all the good in our life. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you haven't yet, I encourage you pick up this darn book. Get Out of Your Own Way is available literally anywhere books are sold. It's one of the proudest things I've ever created. I hope you enjoy this episode, three chapters that we'll unpack from Get Out of Your Own Way. What would the world look like if we all pushed ourselves to have candid conversations with people who didn't look like us, think like us, or live like us? I'm Dave Hollis, and I'm on a mission to learn more about this world by meeting more of the people who live here. You may not always agree with everything you hear, but I guarantee you'll come away more informed on topics you might never have thought to seek out before. This isn't just a podcast, it's a community. And when we raise each other up, we all rise together. We're going to jump into the fifth chapter of the book, Get Out of Your Own Way Today. The lie that we're unpacking is the lie that I did something wrong, so I am wrong. So I'm going to start today by just talking for a second about an experience that I've had recently in doing something wrong that left me feeling shame and how I had to become comfortable with the mistake that I made as a part of my humanity so that I could actually move forward and create the kind of life that I want. As you may be aware, I went through a pretty big relationship transition in the middle part of 2020. And as much as, man, I had been so healthy in how I was processing stress and handling things that were thrown my way that sometimes previous to having gotten a handle on them would have led to me indulging in some negative coping mechanisms, specifically having a drink or too many drinks to try and mute the things that I didn't want to have to feel. Upon getting the news that uh, we were in fact going to get divorced, I spent the next 24, 36 hours worth of time doing a thing that I hadn't done for a long, long time. I had some drinks to mute the feelings that I was being overwhelmed by. And in doing it, it didn't make me feel better. In doing it, it didn't actually address any of the stuff that I was trying to process. It just shoved it down. It just actually 
exacerbated some of the things that I was trying to actually process because of not dealing with them. And after having sat in a room in the dark, all alone, drinking my pain away, I had to get myself up and figure out how to get after what the rest of my life was gonna look like now that it wasn't going to be the thing that I imagined it to be. As I was in the midst of trying to process all of these feelings and all of these emotions, I happened to listen to a sermon by a guy named Stephen Furtick. And in this sermon, he talked about this idea of secondary storms. As in, when we are faced with a storm in our life, when there are challenges or headwinds, many times unexpected things that just show up in our life. Yes, the storm that we are trying to work through can be tough, but oftentimes it's the secondary storm that we create that ends up actually creating more problems, more headwinds, makes it more difficult to dig out of and, and get out from under the thing that we're trying to work through. And in my case, yep, I could see it as soon as I was done sulking in a way that was totally unhealthy and a return to a bad form that I was so proud of having not had a part of my life for more than a year and a half's worth of time, I had to identify that, yep, this is not the way forward. That me choosing to drink when I am faced with challenge or stress, when I'm feeling all of my feelings, it doesn't actually afford me an opportunity to learn from the things I'm feeling. I'm creating in this a secondary storm that actually makes the thing that I'm going through even worse. It turns out that our coping mechanisms, they're not local anesthetics, right? You can't just have a drink and expect that it's gonna take care of the pain. It also mutes the joy. It also takes away your belief that brighter days are actually a thing that will happen in your future. And so I had to get back to the kind of coping mechanisms that I'd turned to for quite a bit of time in the last handful of years. Moving my body, pushing myself physically, staying committed to a gratitude practice, all the things that I have as a part of my routines, had to get back on that horse and stay committed to it so that I could actually show up for my life the way that I'd hoped for and the way that I'd hoped to show up for the people in my life. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. What's interesting, though, is in the aftermath of having 
Yep, made some bad choices for a couple of days in processing this super hard thing. I also came back to my regular life, my habits, my routines, with a bunch of shame for having been weak, for having made a choice that I don't like having made. And I had to ask if that shame was serving me. And of course the answer is no. Shame isn't serving us. Guilt isn't serving us. The mistakes that we make, like the mistakes I made, are just a part of my humanity, a part of how being a human and processing life sometimes has us making bad choices. As it turns out, shame and guilt, they are a secondary storm. They are things that we can be anchored down by and that can, in the weight that we have to carry in trying to hold them, keep us from actually pursuing the kind of life that we want, keep us from actually achieving the goals that we're gonna set as a part of the challenge that you're sitting inside of right now. So we have to find a way to accept that mistakes are just a part of life, that struggle is a sign of our humanity, that doing something wrong does not make us wrong, it makes us human, and that's okay. So I want you to think about three big things as we unpack this conversation around guilt and shame. The first is, when you make a mistake, can you hold that you can both be guilty and good, right? Can you hold that you can both have shame, experience shame, but that that shame does not indict you for not being worthy or good or enough? Right? Doing something wrong does not make you wrong at your core. It just makes you a human being who, like the rest of us, every single one of us, me included, struggles at times with having made the right choice, the best decision in the environment that we made it inside of. So the thing that I had to do, and the thing that I'll argue you have to do in trying to hold the possibility that you can experience guilt or shame and also still be good, is fighting to love yourself unconditionally. Oh, that is a heavy bill. That's a, that's a tall order. But the way that you'd want someone else to love you, right? That's what you'd hope for in how you think about and choose to love yourself. And what is unconditional love? It's as it sounds. It's love without conditions. It's love that sees your mistakes, that, that sees your weaknesses, that sees the negative coping mechanisms that you sometimes turn to or the bad habits that you fall back into when you fall off track and says, you know what? I love you anyway. You're worthy of being loved and you are good and enough just as you are, mistakes and all, bad choices and all, bad habits and all, bad coping mechanisms and all. And if you can get to that place of unconditionally loving yourself, doesn't mean you shouldn't be accountable, doesn't mean you shouldn't work to overcome and learn from the mistakes that you make, but if you can, you get to release yourself from the guilt and shame that is a contradiction to love. Those feelings, that shame, that guilt, that does not serve you in your interest in moving forward. So how do you do that, right? How do you find a way to love yourself unconditionally? Well, one, one way, is by asserting yourself into the spaces where you currently have guilt or shame and deciding that you're still good, that you are allowed to be human. In Manuel Smith's book, When I Say No, I Feel Guilty, he offers a list of rights that he created to remind himself that his humanity is allowed. And you can argue that all of us should make a list that reminds us of our right to be human, of our right to make mistakes. Some of the things on his list, 
You have the right to judge your behavior, thoughts, and emotions and to take responsibility for them. You have the right to offer no reasons or excuses or justify your behavior. You have the right to change your mind. You have the right to make mistakes and be responsible for them. You have the right to say, I don't know. You have the right to be illogical in making decisions. You have the right to say, I don't understand. You have the right to say, I don't care. And his list goes on and on. What would be on your list? How would giving yourself permission to be human afford you a chance at unconditionally loving yourself and releasing yourself from the weight of guilt and shame? I'm telling you, it would be a game changer. All right, the second thing is that guilt and shame are life's best teachers. Learning from the times when you were wrong is what ultimately builds character. I can hold the notion of you being fundamentally good and enough as you are today and simultaneously hope that you will learn from your mistakes as you become something more. I read a great book called Healing the Shame That Binds You by John Bradshaw. And in it, he suggests that mistakes can be reframed as warnings, right? A buzzer goes off in your car, it tells you that service is necessary. You make a mistake, experience some shame or have some guilt, it's maybe a signal that there is something for you to address. You, know, you get a speeding ticket, that ticket maybe is just a warning that slowing down could in fact be the thing that saves your life. So if we can see those mistakes as teachers, we might appreciate that there's no way for us to learn a task or a skill without errors. But it's just so important to think about the things we have guilt or shame for as an opportunity to learn from them. Is there the possibility that these things that we currently have guilt or shame for are in fact just the greatest forms of feedback? Bradshaw goes on to say that framing mistakes as the necessary learning feedback for the learning process frees you to relax, to focus on the gradual mastery of the new task you're attempting. That mistakes are just information about what works and what doesn't. They have nothing to do with your worth. They have nothing to do with your intelligence. They're merely steps toward a goal. And the third thing is that mistakes are universal. Guilt and shame are such lonely, lonely places. And there's nothing more that they love than being hidden inside of you because that is where they fester and grow. Struggle thrives in the dark. And what's the antidote to that lonely suffering? It's bringing in the light. It's giving oxygen to the things that you're working through in a way that normalizes the struggle. It connects you in being honest about it and sharing it with someone that you are, just like so many people that you are doing life with, actually super normal for struggling with the things that you do. I know you can find thousands of examples of the people just like you, or people who aspire to be something that you are aiming for, who've also struggled and learned from the mistakes that they've made, how they've turned their pain into power. What if you saw a model of someone else who made that same set of bad decisions but learned from their journey and they came to a stronger place because of the struggle they went through. That thing they had shame, the thing they had guilt from, was a thing that actually was a catalyst to their growth, to their becoming. When I was able to see how universal and common my struggles were by reading books and listening to podcasts from people who'd gone through similar seasons, it changed the way I thought about the possibilities of what might come from my mistakes in a very, very good way. 
When I think about the coping mechanisms that I want to continue to be in control of, my having set the goal of doing an Ironman in 2021 is an attempt to keep pushing myself physically into spaces that when I feel the pressures and stresses of this world, and guess what, they're here, I know that I can go get on a bike, jump in a pool, get on my running shoes, and do the work to go after an audacious goal that I never thought was possible for myself as a means to showing how much I can do, how hard in pushing myself physically I might change the way I think mentally. So what are some of the spaces for you where you've carried guilt or shame that might in fact be the trail of breadcrumbs that you need to build some goals that help you assertively push back against them? There is a way to reframe the experiences of your mistakes to learn from them and maybe create some plans that help you assertively push back against them in a way that catalyze you becoming the best version of you. You may have done something wrong. That does not make you wrong. It makes you human. You may in fact be struggling right now. That struggle is a reflection of your humanity. Good news, we are all human and we're all struggling. Not being held back by guilt and shame, that's a thing that we have to actively fight against by working towards unconditionally loving ourselves, finding a way to learn from the mistakes that we've made, and by normalizing the fact that going through things that inevitably provoke a little bit of guilt or a little bit of shame is just the price of entry for pursuing things that are outside of our normal life. We want an extraordinary life, so we're gonna make mistakes. There's no benefit to holding on to guilt or shame. Weighing ourselves down with those things are not gonna let us get to the level we wanna go. We're gonna unpack chapter 10, which is the lie that we tell ourselves, I can phone it in and be just fine. You cannot phone it in and be just fine. What is it about phoning it in that works against us, right? What is it about uh, thinking that we can just get by with getting by, be okay with being okay, that actually stunts the momentum required to create the greatest year of our lives, to actually achieve the goals that we would hope to achieve. Well, I'm gonna give you three big things to consider. Number one, every single interaction that you make with any other human being is either a deposit or a withdrawal. In the book, I reference this amazing opportunity that I had to listen to Steve Jobs while I was working at the Walt Disney Company in a meeting. And in this meeting, he said just the simplest thing, this idea that every single time someone interacts with your product, they either have a withdrawal, as in they have a bad experience and they think less of your product or brand going forward, or they have a deposit as in they have a rich experience, it adds to what they think of the product, and it makes them wanna come back and consume more, they wanna recommend it more often to their friends, on and on. And what it landed for me is that as much as yes, that's a great bit of advice for business and certainly a great bit of advice for anyone who's trying to establish or build a brand, the same thing can be said for each of us as individual human beings. We are, after all, creating a personal brand with every interaction we have with the people that we are trying to influence or affect in our life. 
And so the idea of phoning it in or not, can you get away with just doing the bare minimum at times, really comes down to the question of how you hope people to receive you in every interaction that you inevitably end up having. Your brand, your reputation, it is the collective of your consistent actions, right? The way that people might describe you when you're not around is the, the reiteration, the, the, the reflection of how you have been in their life consistently over time. And so there's, yeah, gonna be times where it feels like you can phone it in, but when you do as little as is required because eh, nobody's really looking, everyone is still looking. There are people still paying attention, even if it's people that you perceive to be people who just don't necessarily matter, right? It's rarely the case, rarely the case, that you can get away with just doing the bare minimum and not have it produce that withdrawal kind of experience. The idea that there won't be an impact is confronted with this reality that on the regular, everyone that we are interacting with is either having that deposit or withdrawal kind of experience with us. And so as you hope to be described by people, as you are trying to build a reputation or personal brand, you have to keep an eye on how consistently you'd have to act in a way that creates integrity between what you'd hope they would say and how they see you every day. You have to create that integrity. And that just requires that you are hyper-focused on and conscientious of the way that you have interactions on the regular, okay? The second big thing, you must know who you wanna be. You have to know who you want to be. I mentioned in the book, another name drop, I know, but I had uh, a couple of times in my career an opportunity to sit in a room with Oprah Winfrey. And in each of the times when we would sit in these meetings, she started the meeting every time in the same way. She asked a very simple question, what is the intended outcome of this meeting? She was looking for someone in the meeting to declare what we were meant to get from the meeting, what we were hoping to be. And the same kind of thing has to be asked of you. Who do you want to be, right? What is the hoped for outcome of the interactions that you're going to have with people regularly? You don't just wanna be a good parent when the conditions are right, or just be a great boss when the situation affords it easily. You wanna actually know who you'd have to be on a regular basis so that you can consistently show up in that way. I talk in the book about this difference between a thermostat and a thermometer, right? A thermometer measures the temperature in a room. As in, if the room is super hot, you got tensions flowing high, well that thermometer ends up meeting the room at the place where the room is already at temperature-wise. Whereas a thermostat is something that sets the temperature desired in the room. And of course, you want to be the thermostat. You wanna be someone that in advance of walking into a room, in advance of your kids having an issue, in advance of wanting to show up well at the office, that you know what your intended outcome is. You know the kind of interaction you're hoping to bring to that situation. And so by setting the temperature, by being the thermostat, 
irrespective of what happens in the day, the headwinds, the unknowns, the fits that your kids might throw, the COVID kind of experience that may out of nowhere turn the world upside down, if you're intentional in what you're trying to set as a temperature, now, regardless of those distractions, regardless of what ends up happening in life, you know how to show up and do so consistently so that you can reinforce the attributes of your personal brand, so that you can build on the positive pieces of the reputation that you're trying to create. All right, and the third thing I wanna draw your attention to in this conversation of phoning it in or not, showing up for yourself is showing up for others. When you make radical change, you end up undergoing something in that metamorphosis that has an effect on those around you. Showing up for yourself is a roundabout way to also help you show up well for others. And so when it comes to phoning it in or not, having the right set of habits, having the right kind of smart goals, knowing the kind of morning routine that's necessary to produce the best version of you, sometimes we can you know, find it to be a little bit selfish to wanna dedicate the kind of time that's necessary to actually show up well for ourselves. Well, I'm gonna give you permission to reframe the way that you think about that self-care, reframe the way that you think about not just phoning it in, as it not just being about you or some selfish desire to get better for yourself and yourself alone, no. There is something amazing that's happened in my journey with the modeling of what it means to have these healthier behaviors, what it means to pursue my mental, emotional, physical, relational, and spiritual health goals along the way as observed by my kids, as observed by my circle of close friends, as observed by you, people on the internet that I've become friends with. There's something good that comes in being able to show up well for yourself that doesn't make it selfish, but instead affords you to be the kind of light that you'd hope to be in this world by modeling for other people what it means to create the kind of audacious goals that you're building in real time, to dedicate yourself to and stay committed to the kind of habits, routines, the kind of coping mechanisms that actually have you showing up as your best self. If you've read the book, I'm sure you've seen, at the end of each chapter, I give the three things that worked for me or that helped me in trying to dismantle the lie. And in dismantling the lie, I can phone it in and be just fine. The three final pieces of advice that I'm gonna send you off with today were this. Number one, I got very specific about my personal brand. I, in trying to really hone in on what it was that I stood for, asked a very simple question. If someone had 60 seconds in an elevator to give a pitch of why they believed me to be the best candidate for the role of my life, how might they describe me? And once I could understand what I would hope for that person to say, I then had to ask, well, what kind of behaviors, what kind of values, what kind of consistent positive deposits would I have to commit to to actually have that story told in the way that I'd hope it was? Think about your elevator pitch. What would you hope someone would say about you were they to only have 60 seconds to describe why you are the perfect candidate for the vision of the life 
you desire. And then ask, well, what would you have to do to actually have them tell that story? Number two, I made my list of operating principles, right? The consistent brand deposit moments. So as I was able to identify those pillars, now I had a game plan. I had a playbook to go off of that every single day could reinforce the brand that I'd envisioned. And number three, I reminded myself that you just never know. You just never know who you might be having an interaction with that two years from now or five years from now may end up being someone who's in a position to give you that promotion, to open that door, to be the person who can give you a resource or some help that you desperately need. I absolutely 100% have been the beneficiary of a seed-planted positive interaction paying off years later. And I'm certain that that's the case for you as well. We are going to dive into a chapter that's all about limiting beliefs. It's chapter 17 inside of this book, Get Out of Your Own Way, The Lie, The Things That Are Possible For Other People Aren't Possible For Me. The idea that there are stories that have been told to you, stories that you have come to believe, that have you accepting that certain people have opportunity that you don't. When the reality is, until you test the hypothesis of your truth, you will never fully, totally understand what you actually have a capacity for. I, I tell the story in the book about running because for me, it has become such an integral part of my life. And yet, for 36 years of my life, I was told a story through the lens of someone else's fear, someone who happened to love me, from whom I craved love from, that I could not be a runner. I was told this story because of the love that this person had for me, wanting to protect me from something that they worried about, potentially hurting me because of my height. That somehow, from their perspective, the idea of tall people running was something that might introduce to me pain in my back, in my knees, in my joints, in my hips, somewhere, somehow, they had been fed a story that runners could not be tall. And in their interest of protecting me through the, the shade of love, they told me a story that tall people couldn't run. And so for 36 years, I accepted the truth of this story rather than testing the hypothesis of my own truth. And then one day, I was challenged to run. It happened to be by an older colleague. I was this whippersnapper who wanted to show him that I, in fact, could do something that I had not previously any experience with because I'm a competitive guy, because I wanted to show him what I could actually do. And in getting out and running my first 5K, it turned out that my hips, my back, my knees, None of them were hurt. In testing that hypothesis of what was actually possible for me, I was able to reframe the story that had previously been limiting me. That story, the capital T truth, of someone else's reason why this thing that has become such an important part of my life was not actually available or accessible to me. Now, as it turns out, and I love my mother, but I'm gonna use her as the storytelling device here because it was my mom who fed me this story 
in an attempt to protect me from hurting myself. And when I had to ask the question of where that story came from, I'm gonna ask that you do the same thing with the limiting beliefs that you currently subscribe to. And that is, where does this story come from? Is this storyteller credible in my life? And do they have credibility on the topic at hand? Right, as it turns out, this story came from my mom, someone who I love and crave love from, someone whose storytelling, again, was done through the lens of love. Does she have credibility in my life? Well, yeah, she's my mom. And of course, I have, through my life, turned to her for guidance and wisdom in how I approach a whole host of things in showing up well for my life, my family, for everything. But does she have credibility on the topic? And interestingly, as it turns out, my mother was neither a runner, nor was she tall. So when it came to having any practical firsthand experience as to what really might happen to someone who runs that happens to be tall, she did not have credibility on the subject. And not having credibility on the subject disqualified her as a storyteller for what was possible in my life. I don't know what things you subscribe to, what capital T truths you have given weight to, but if you've given them weight, please do yourself the favor of asking where they originated from. If that storyteller has credibility, and if that credible storyteller has credibility on the topic at hand. I've been plenty of times a person who's tried to warn out of a practical, pragmatic, being that I am, the worry of what chasing audacious dreams might look like. I am someone who thinks more about the how than the what. And sometimes my perspective on the how, as framed through the love I have for the people that are trying to reach for that what, can be stifling, can in some ways create a story of what I don't believe is possible for them. In part because, again, I am coming from this place of love. I don't want them to be disappointed for trying something and failing. I don't want them to be embarrassed for putting themselves out there only to realize the pragmatic realities of the audacity of what they were reaching for. But I may not have, every single time, been a credible source for truth. And so I'm fortunate that the people that I have my superpower, pragmatism, tried to convince to be cautious, conscientious, have sometimes pushed back against my conscientiousness, even though it was framed in love, so that they could discover the truth by testing their own hypothesis. You're gonna have to do the same. So limiting beliefs are just this idea of things that we have subscribed to that in some ways tell us a story of what we think we're capable of or said another way, what we don't think we're capable of. Uh, in the book from chapter 17, there are ideas like this. Believing that this is just how things are, right? They just don't hire people that are this old. They just don't do these things. The business only has historically run this way. You accept that that is the way things are without challenging if there might be a different way. Believing that since you're not like someone who does well in an area you'd like to do well in, it's just not possible for you. You could never speak as well as he does, so you could never get that job. 
undermining the possibility that of course you could build the skill of becoming an amazing public speaker. Identifying yourself as a person who has talent in one area that disqualifies you for the possibility of excelling in another area, right? You happen to work in human resources and that somehow tells a story in your mind that you could never succeed in sales. That's crazy, of course you could. Uh, believing that you can't do something even if you've never tried to do it. I didn't think I could be a good runner in part because of a story that was told to me and so I never tried to run a marathon. Until I got out, started running, and reframed what I believed myself to be capable of on those roads. And taking the principles from your childhood or the society that you grew up in and automatically assuming that they are true without testing. This is the idea of taking the societal constructs of what real men do or don't do, what good women do or don't do. Right? For me, because I had so much of what it meant to be a man modeled by my dad, I, anytime I deviated from the way he was in society, in my life, triggered into wondering if that was something that was right. So many of our limiting beliefs come back to these things that were taught to us, ingrained in us, programmed into us at a very, very young age. We talked about it in a live last week, the idea of the agreements that were made for us or that we made without even realizing the implications of having had them made. The way that societal constructs around gender, the way that religion sometimes informs the way to show up, the way your family of origin may have informed what you're supposed to do as a man or a woman, a mother or a father, a parent, whatever it might be. And challenging, or at a minimum, diving into where those belief structures come from and asking if those belief structures still have relevance in your life in 2021 is essential. Because the reality may be that they had practical application. They were super relevant when they were a part of your life when you were five years old. But you don't live in that house any longer. You don't operate in a society that is the way that it was 40 years ago today. And so unpacking and understanding where the things that you have come to believe originated from, asking if those things came from credible sources and if those sources still have credibility today is vitally important in determining what you believe yourself to be capable of in this year ahead, in your life ahead. You have the option you have the opportunity of reframing any of the stories that you have previously been told from limiting beliefs into empowering beliefs. You get that choice, but it starts with understanding where your beliefs come from, why you believe them, and if they still have relevance in 2021. If they don't have relevance and you stay connected to those beliefs, they will be barriers to the pursuit of the vision that you have cast for this year ahead. They will compromise you living fully into your true self because you will still be trying to show up as the definition of what someone else has placed on your life for what good is, for what right is. If that vision, that version of their definition doesn't have application today, it's time to reframe what you believe. All right, so I wanna make three quick points 
in today's conversation. Number one, you do not know your limits until you push them. Limiting beliefs are just that. They are beliefs. They are things that you have subscribed to, but until you push back against the things that you think are your limits, you cannot reframe what you believe yourself to have capability for. In the running analogy, I didn't think I could run and started running a small distance, a short distance, 3.1 miles, that's a 5K. I ran a small distance. And in running it, I realized, wow, I can run without getting hurt. I, as a tall person, can be a runner. So I ran a little bit further and a little bit further and a little bit faster. And over the course of time, as I became a runner, as I changed the identity that I have as someone who can, as a tall person, run, I am a marathon finisher. I am training in real time for this Ironman. I am someone who can handle long distance, come at me roads. But it wasn't until I started running longer distance, it wasn't until I started running a faster pace that I was able to reframe what I believed I was capable of. And the same is true for you. So as you run up against something that you have a limiting belief around, the mandate, if you wanna grow into who you'd hope to be, is that you push up against that limit and reframe what you believe yourself to be capable of by showing yourself that you can. All right, second thing, limiting beliefs can control our identity if we let them. So it's so important, as I already alluded to, to really understand where you believe your worthiness comes from, where your beliefs in what you believe yourself capable of come from, where do they originate from, where does your permission to be come from? If you can understand that, now you can challenge whether or not those are things that you still believe in the year that sits in front of us. Your upbringing, the societal norms, the comparison that you might make to other people, the foundations of our identity create the boundaries of what we believe we are capable of, what we believe is possible. So the more that you can focus in on and understand where your beliefs come from, then you can reframe who you believe yourself to be. And part of it is understanding what triggers your limits in the first place. What triggers your belief in these limits in the first place? Is it that you have some kind of fear of failure? Are you worried that if you were to try something that pushes beyond what you believe you have capacity for, that you might not get it right the first time you try it? Be free. You will not get it right the first time you try it. Find a way to dismantle the fear of failure, fear of rejection. If you stand fully and completely into who you are, there is in fact a chance that you will be rejected. But being yourself, standing completely and certainly in the identity that you know yourself to be is freedom. And sometimes that rejection is protection. Sometimes that rejection is exactly the kind of thing you need to actually achieve the thing that you're looking for. We've talked about the idea of not having it all together. Is your fear in your limits connected to this belief that you have to maintain the optics of having it all together? You can't. Be free from the worry of thinking that you can manage those optics or that it's possible to have it all together and go pursue a life out in these choppy waters where of course you're gonna have some of the things that you try not work out perfectly. 
In the world where you've got to juggle all of these balls at one time, knowing which one are the glass balls and knowing which one are the plastic balls to keep the glass ones up in the air is all that matters. Let the plastic balls fall and give yourself some grace. Are you worried about the possibility that the curated image that you have projected on Facebook or Instagram may in fact be exposed for the lie that it is? That you are also, like every other person on these platforms, someone who struggles, someone who's going to be somewhat insecure pushing into new places. Be free from that. Normalize that nobody is the image that they are portraying on Instagram and Facebook and be free to go become, push past the limits that worrying about what people might think might actually keep you from experiencing in the pursuit of 2021. All right, the third thing is this idea, powerful idea, that your limiting beliefs can be turned into empowering beliefs. You have the power to take the stories that have been told to you and reframe them into something that give you full permission to pursue the life that you envision, that give you no limits, that empower you to chase down the vision that you have set for 2021. But it takes deliberate work. It starts with identifying the limits that already exist and doing the work to understand what it would mean to challenge those limits push against them, reframe them in a way that acts as a catalyst and a springboard that gives you the permission, that gives you the mandate to show up in the way that you'd hope to in the year ahead. Rise Together is hosted by me, Dave Hollis. This show is produced by Chelsea Harfouche and edited by Andrew Weller with production support by Sterling Coates. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Rise Together is a product of the Hollis Company.